answering. I quit asking the questions, but one more person came up. And he was sincere. The others were not sincere. They wanted to trap him. But a man came along. He was a scribe, and he said, Jesus, what is the foremost? What is the greatest commandment of them all? And he really wanted to know the answer. Jesus, if you boil all the 613 laws that the rabbis have taught us, if you boil it all down, is there one rule, one commandment, one thing we need to know that's more important than all the rest? And he gave him an answer. He said, no, he didn't say it boils down to this, but he said, this is the first commandment, that you're to love God with all of who you are. We'll get into that a little later. And the second, by the way, just like it, but in a different direction, is love your neighbor as yourself. He said, everything put together all comes down to this, that you are to love God with a complete heart, and you are to love your neighbor the way you love yourself. You say, well, that sounds pretty easy. I will tell you, by the time we're done, we're going to find out that no one has ever been able to do that. The only way that can be fulfilled is by the person who we've been singing about. The one who is the Redeemer, the Savior, the one that's the healer, and that's Jesus Christ. That is the only way we can fulfill God's commandments. Now, I've entitled this, It All Boils Down to This. Because if you take something like maple sap, and you boil it down and boil it down, it comes out to being maple syrup. Now, I don't know about you, but maple syrup is pretty good stuff. If you have never eaten a dish of vanilla ice cream with pure maple syrup poured on and some walnuts put on top of it, you have not eaten dessert yet. Uh, unfortunately, at our house, uh, we've been kind of splurging on that lately. Um, I may have to stop eventually because my pants won't fit anymore. But, but that's good stuff. When maple syrup comes out of the tree trunk, it's 2% sugar. I got to tell you, if you have something 2% sugar, it's not even sweet. But if you boil it, you take 40 gallons of it and boil it down to one gallon, you now have maple syrup. In fact, as I learned a few things I didn't know, that maple syrup needs to be between 66 and 67% sugar. If it's less than 66% sugar, it will spoil. If it's more than 67, it will crystallize. And so you've got to get it right in there. But it's all boiling down to something that if you've never eaten it, it's good. It's sweet. It makes lots of things, pancakes and ice cream and all kinds of other things, taste really good. Jesus boiled down all the laws from the Old Testament to two. And he said, and these are the two that I'm boiling it down to. Now, i got to tell you, I have a story that goes with maple syrup. When I was a child, I had never eaten real maple syrup. But we had a neighbor who was also a farmer like us, and he had a number of huge maple trees all around his house. And he got the bright idea one winter, one spring actually, that he was going to make maple syrup. And so he read up on it, and he uh, started tapping the trees, got all the syrup. What he didn't know... And what ultimately happened, uh, by the way, that was the first I ever ate maple syrup. But I've got to tell you, it cost him greatly. Because he decided to boil the syrup down in his wife's kitchen. 
What happened is, remember, you've got 40 gallons to start with and you only end up with a gallon. That means 39 gallons of vapor were in his house. He literally took the ceiling off of his kitchen because the plaster crumbled and came down because there was that much boiled off. Well, I got to tell you, today we're going to boil down and we're going to look at a boiled down version of what God says he demands of us. If you want to be right with God, these are the things that God demands of us. Many, for the past years, when I have talked to people and I've said, how do you think you go to heaven? And a lot of people will say, well, you need to believe in Jesus or you need to, be, to believe in God. And a lot of them will say, and you have to keep the Ten Commandments. And I said, oh, that's very interesting. That's only 10 out of those 613. I said, could you name them for me? I'm telling you, I got up to six. Now, I got to tell you, I, my view to them was, okay, you believe you need to keep, keep the Ten Commandments to get to heaven, but if you can only name six, how in the world do you even know if you're keeping them? You don't even know what they are. So I was with, uh, some of you know Brian Ierly. Him and I went on the visitation, and we went to the lady's house, and I told her that. I said, because she told me the same thing. She said, you have to keep the Ten Commandments and believe in Jesus, I think is what she told me. And I said, could you name them? I said, nobody's ever told me more than six of them that believe what you believe. She said, oh, I can do that. So she named them and said, I got seven. I said, no, you didn't. You repeated one of them, which she had actually done. Now, I got a question for you. Can you name the Ten Commandments? Okay, that's the boiled down version. Can you name the Ten Commandments? Now, I'm not going to hold you to this, but let's look at them. Because they're very simple if you think about it. By the way, I checked myself before I looked this up just to make sure that I knew them, and I did. So I'm just going to tell you that. But what are those Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before you. God says he is the only first cause, the eternal one. There are no other real gods. There are man-made gods, but there's only one God. You shall not make yourself any carved image. There's no representation of God simply because God is totally, completely spirit. Anytime we try to make him into some kind of form, uh, we are going to be wrong. The third one is, should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's more than cursing. That is just using his name in an empty, futile way. He says, don't do that. To remember the Sabbath day, that is not Sunday, by the way, that is Saturday. But he says you need a day of rest, and that was specifically to the Jews. Honor your father and mother. Notice it doesn't say obedience, it says honor. It's a lifelong commandment that he gives us to honor our parents. You shall not murder, the New Testament says, and if you hate your brother, you are also a murderer. You shall not commit adultery, the New Testament goes beyond that and says, and if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. The eighth one, you shall not steal, taking what doesn't belong to you. The ninth one is you should not bear false witness. In other words, lie about your neighbor. And the last one is you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. And it gives a list of them, everything from his donkey and his oxen to his house to his wife to you name it. We're not to covet. Interesting thing. If you have ever broken any one of the first nine, according to the Old Testament, under the law, you deserve capital punishment. There is a death penalty attached to the first nine. 
The only one that doesn't have a death penalty is the last one. Because the last one is an attitude. And if I covet, think of what happens. If I covet, I'll steal. If I covet, I might commit adultery. I might do a whole lot of other things. And so the last one doesn't have a death penalty. But if you continue on in covetousness, you will break one of the other nine. And so if you're trying to keep the law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or all 613 of them, you're in bad shape. Because God says you're a condemned person. You cannot do that. It is not even possible to be able to do that. But people think, even today yet, that they can keep the Ten Commandments or God's commandments. And because of that, God will accept them. They will be in heaven. They will be right with God. It doesn't work that way. But when this man came to Jesus, Jesus said, I'll give you the commandments and I'll give you the short version. I'll give you the boiled down version. God demands wholehearted love of himself. That means in every thought, every action, every word, everything we do with our lives, God needs to be the center, the focus, the highest point of everything we do. i got to tell you right there, I flunk. And if you're going to be honest with yourself this morning, you have also. We're all in big trouble. By the way, that is not the end of the sermon. The end of the sermon is that trouble has been dealt with by Jesus Christ. But if we go with, what, is the, what are the commandments? What do I need to do to be right with God? We're all in trouble. We're sinners. We were born that way. And not only were we born that way, we act and speak and think that way. We're condemned because of who we are and because of what we have done. And they came and they, they, he said, and we're in Mark chapter 12 now. He says, what is the commandment that is the foremost of all? In other words, what is the one of first importance? What is the leading commandment? What does it boil down to? And Jesus answered and said, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Wholehearted, complete love for God himself. Nothing that distracts us. No idols. No selfishness. Because if you're wholehearted loving somebody else, you can't be selfish at the same time. God demands that. Now what does it mean when it says to love? Well, love has a number of aspects that go with it. He says... You need to love with all of your heart. The way it's used here, it's used in conjunction with the mind. It means with all your desires, your emotions, your sensibilities. You have an emotional attachment and an emotional focus on who God is and what he demands of us. The second, it says, and you need to love him with all your soul. You are different than I am in very many different ways. I'm a certain size. I, I have certain interests and those kinds of things. I have a different personality than you do. Every one of us is different. We all look different. That's true. But if you took away the, the faces and the bodies and all the physical uh, things that we have, we would still be that different. Think of it this way. 
If someone calls you on the phone, if it's someone you've talked to a number of times, you don't even introduce yourself because even the tone of their voice tells you who it is. In fact is, after a while, you know, did they call because they're happy or sad? Mad or glad? You, you know that. That's your personality. That's your soul. It's who you are on the inside. Makes you you. It says with everything you are, you're going to love God. That means the way I serve God may be slightly different than you. Oh, the basics are all the same, but it's slightly different because I'm a little bit different than you are. And I'm going to, with everything that I am, who I am, I am going to focus on who he is and love him, put him first. We'll talk about what love is in a moment. And then it says, with all your mind, with the intellect. Some people think Christianity is some emotional thing that people get attached to. Oh, there's emotion there, no doubt about that. It should be. We already saw with all your heart. But it's also something that's intellectual. God has never asked us to believe anything that was not concrete, verifiable fact. It was not actuality. When the Bible says that we need to believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day, that's an actual historical fact. He's not asking us to believe a fairy tale or somebody's illusion or somebody's fable or their story of fiction. No, it's actual historical fact that he asks us to trust in. And that's an act of the mind. I need to understand what God has done, what Christ has done, and I need to understand who I am. But then it says one more. We need to love him with all of our strength. That's our body. That part of us that interrelates with other people and the things that make it possible for us to walk and talk and, and do things with our hands. We are going to use everything God has given us, everything that we are, we're going to use that to love God. Now, when we talk about love, we need to understand that love is more than a warm, fuzzy feeling. I like the love that's a warm, fuzzy feeling. Most of you do also. The Bible has a name for that. In Greek, it's phileo. It means best friends. It means you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. We're in this together. Nothing wrong with that. It's good feelings and a whole lot of other things. There's another biblical love that is family love. It's like an animal that loves and protects its young. I've used this with the congregation here before, but I'll use it one more time today. Uh, domestic dairy cattle are not vicious animals. But every now and then, a cow would have a calf out in the field, and we would go out in the field with a wheelbarrow, pick it up, put it in the wheelbarrow, and wheel the calf home. i got to tell you, you better watch your back, because that cow that wouldn't hurt a flea is going to run you over because you have its calf. That's another kind. It's family love. That's biblical also. But there's a love that's beyond those two. It's agape love. It's the kind of love, and I'm going to end with this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a love that says, it's not about me, it's about you. It's a love that is self-sacrificing. And it's unilateral. It means I love and I do good 
for your welfare, for your well-being, regardless of who or what you have done. It's something that's unearned. If I choose to love someone, I do what's right and beneficial and good for them, regardless of what they've said about me, regardless of how they've treated me, regardless of how well I know them, how much attachment I have to them. I love them and do good for them simply because I love them. I make the choice to do it. It's self-sacrificing. It always requires me to pay the price. It's never, I'll love you if... That's not the kind of love we're talking about here. It's, I love you because I'm willing to pay the price. And i got to tell you, some of you are parents and grandparents. You know that to love your children every now and then, especially when they're teenagers or two, you know, uh, you sacrifice to love them. Because every now and then, uh, your, your house may have had an invisible sign, kids, free kids, you know, you, like kittens, you know, for a good home or something. You know, but because you love them, you spend the sleepless night or the money for the doctor bill when they just did what, for the third time what you told them not to do and they broke their arm. You know, all of those kinds of things. You stay up at night because they didn't come home when they were supposed to. That's love. You go out on the limb. You pay the price. That's this kind of love. It's unconditional. It never waits to respond, but it always takes the initiative to do what is good. And the last thing is, it's beneficial. If I love someone, it's for their good. Their good, not me. It's not what's in it for me. That's lust. It's not that at all. It's for their good. God says, that's the way you need to love me. But he goes a step further and says, and the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So he gives a two-part answer. He is asked, what is the greatest commandment, singular, but he says, but there's a two-part answer to this. Love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. That's because of principle. I love simply because I have a wholehearted love and I concentrate and focus on him. But the second one is, is very practical. It says, I love my neighbor as myself. Now, i got a question for you. Notice there are two things in here. It says, love your neighbor. No problem with that one. But the second we miss, as yourself. You know what? I'm looking out over this audience. Don't think I'm judging you, but um, all of you love yourselves. How do I know that? You combed your hair this morning? Well, some of you have hair. <clears throat> you dressed, you ate breakfast, or you ate, you, none of you look like you're starving. In other words, you take care of yourself. We pamper ourselves. Let's face it. I don't like to be in pain. I don't like to hurt. I do what I need to to make myself comfortable. We all do that. Why? Because we love ourselves. Is there anything wrong with that? The answer is no. It is not. The fact is, if you quit loving yourself, you're somebody that we're looking at, going to be looking at and saying, something wrong with this person. They don't even take care of themselves anymore. And we look and say, that person needs help. So there's nothing wrong with loving yourself. But he says, if all you do is love yourself, there's a problem. Because he says, in the same way that you take care of yourself, you are to take care of your neighbor. 
Now, we could do a little bit of a definition here. Who's your neighbor? Remember that? There's a story in the Bible that asks that question. Essentially, it comes down to this. this. Whoever crosses your path. I got to tell you, you don't have to go too far. If you're married, uh, you have a spouse. She's about as close a neighbor as you can get. If you've got children, they're about as close as you can get also. And then there are the people you work with and people you come to church with and the people you do this and that and the other thing with. Those are the people who cross your path. Do you treat them? Do you have an attitude toward them that you want to be helpful in their lives in the same way that you take care of yourself? That is what God is telling us. I got to tell you, that's practical. Very seldom do I look and say, what can I do for somebody else exactly the same as I do for myself? We'll go, well, you know what, I took care of myself today, and you know what, maybe I'll help them out a little bit. God's command is, love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty strict. Again, I got to tell you, none of us have ever wholeheartedly loved God. He has never been the sole focus of our lives. So we fail on that one. And I got to tell you that on most occasions, we don't love our neighbor as ourself. Now, I don't care if it's the Ten Commandments or the boiled-down version, we fall short. We just simply don't come up to God's standard. This man who, who came to Christ uh, was uh, satisfied with the answer. And I have to tell you that when it comes down to loving our neighbor, if the person never had words with you, it's pretty easy to love them. If they've never done you wrong, it's not too hard to love them. If they're a little bit like you and you get along and you have similar interests, eh, it's not so hard to love them. But what about the person who's wronged you? What about the person that doesn't agree with you? What about the persons? They're different. I'll tell you what. It gets more difficult the more you think about it. And if you keep thinking about it after you leave here, you're going to realize what I'm going to, the conclusion I'm going to come to is you cannot, on your own, carry this out. It's just not possible to do that. In the New Testament, there's a second person who has the same type of question. But this is in Luke chapter 18, and he is also a ruler. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. He wanted to make sure that he understood Jesus was God. He wasn't just another good teacher. Oh, he was the only, and he was the best. He was the highest but he was more than that. He was God and is God. And then Jesus went on to say, well, you know the commandments. Now, this guy was a model citizen. I'm going to tell you, any of you parents would like to have had him as a son. You would like to have this guy as an employee, a neighbor. Jesus said, you know the commandments. Don't, mur- uh, don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he stopped there. And the young man looks at him and says, all these things I've kept from my youth. I've I've kept those commandments. I haven't murdered anyone. I don't steal. I don't do this and this and all those other things. And he thought, I'm a pretty good guy. By the way, he was a pretty good guy. Upstanding citizen. Nobody would deny that. 
Then Jesus asked him another question. He said, you lack, I said to him one more thing. I'm sorry, not a question. You lack still one thing. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, don't be mistaken here. This is not anti-rich people. That is not what this story is about. He's not against people having things. That is not the purpose of this story. But remember I said one of the commandments was an attitude, like the last one, thou shalt not covet. See, this young man had a covetous attitude. He had what he had, nothing wrong with that, but he made sure he was going to keep it, and it was his, and it was indeed his God. He broke the Tenth Commandment because now he had another God before him. It was his money. When Jesus answered people's questions, when he addressed their situation, he didn't just address the outside circumstances. He went right to the heart of the matter. That's exactly what he did. He always boiled it down. Always got right to the center of the issue. He knew this young man, while on the outside, those things that, when he interacted with other people, he was a model citizen. But in the heart, he was still wrong. And Jesus said, okay, we need to deal with that. We need to root out that 10th commandment. And we need to see what it is and where your heart really is. Are you wholeheartedly loving God or do you love your money more? That's what he's asking him. He had no doubt that he was trying to treat his neighbors right. But do you love God the way you should? This young man obviously had that problem. I don't have to guess about that. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we come to that term, kingdom of God. You don't build the kingdom of God. In fact, is the kingdom of God is that kingdom that we need to be born into. That's my final point this morning. It's a kingdom you must be born into. You cannot create it. You cannot work for it. You cannot do any of those kinds of things. But it is God's internal ruling in our lives. It is us willfully placing ourselves under His control. We can't add to it. We can simply ask God to be a part of that. And, of course, that is through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So this young man now has all of these things. He sees that his heart is wrong. And the people that were around him, they saw it. And they said, well, then who can be saved? Who, who can be right with God? Who can go to heaven? Who? I mean... This guy's a model citizen. Yeah, he's got a little problem with his wealth, but, you know, and his heart is a little bit wrong, but, wow, this is a really high standard. No, it's an impossible standard. No one can meet it. Whether it's the Old Testament Ten Commandments or the 613 or the boiled-down version, nobody can meet it. You simply can't because we're sinners to start with, and we act that way. We cannot meet it. And so the people that were standing around said, hey, who, who can be saved? And he said, the things impossible with man 
are possible with God. So, it's not possible to work your way into heaven, to keep the commandments into heaven. Nothing wrong with those. Make you a model citizen. People look at you and say, wow, isn't that person spiritual? Aren't they nice people? Nothing wrong with being spiritual. Nothing wrong with being nice people. But does it please God? Does it meet God's perfect standard? The New Testament says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, or your Father in heaven is perfect. Nobody meets that standard. God's commandments simply tell us how far short we fall. If we stopped there, you'd go home kind of depressed and dejected. It would not be good. But there's a third point and a final point this morning. And that is uh, that though we're half-hearted creatures, God has made a way, a way for us to be right with him. In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice, it rules out all the rules and regulations and commands, including the command to love God and love your neighbor. Rules them all out, because none of us can carry it out. But there is a way, and that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He alone, because he is God, took on a body. He fully, 100%, wholeheartedly, did obey God the Father. And be, even though he was absolutely perfect, he took our sin, our shortcomings, those commands that we couldn't fulfill, he fulfilled them for us on our behalf. So what it comes down to is there's nothing we can add to it. It's a finished work. Remember on the cross one of the last things he said? It is finished. Everything that could be, needs to be done, or ever could be done has been dealt with. It's all been taken care of, and it's been taken care of by Jesus Christ. And then we come to close this morning, probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did he do? Gave him. Oh, yeah, he came to earth and took on a body. He gave him in that way. But he gave him a step further than that because he was the one who came to earth, the one who came and took on a body, not simply to be a good person and live out the commandments that none of us could live out, live a perfect life. He did that, but he came to die. He had no sin of his own, but he took our sin on himself. When I think of that, I, I remember... Uh, when my kids were younger, we would go backpacking on the Appalachian Trail. And everything that you took with you, you put in the backpack. And you didn't want to take more than you needed because after an hour or so, your legs start feeling and your shoulders start feeling all that weight. Think about this. He took my sin, your sin, the sin of the whole world, and took it on himself. Can you imagine the burden of that? Oh, the crucifixion was horrible. But the burden of bearing our sin, I think, might even be worse than that. He bore our sins on the cross, died in our place, so that what we could never fulfill on our own, he fulfilled for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
we could have God's righteousness added to us. How? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's an act of faith. You can work all you want. We'll make you a good person. Everybody will think you're great. But it will not fulfill God's commandments. You don't meet God's standard. Only a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, on our behalf could meet that. So you can work all you want. You can go to church all you want. You can give all you want. You can pray all you want. You can do all of those things. And most of those are good things. But unless you've trusted Jesus Christ, it's an act of faith. What, how do you, uh, what's an act of faith? Simply this. Recognizing that I'm a sinner and I cannot please God in any way, shape, or form, but I recognize that Christ has done it for me, on my behalf. Someone else has paid the bill. Remember, love always requires self-sacrifice. Somebody pays the bill. Christ has paid the bill. He loved us enough to die for us. And what we're simply doing is saying, Lord, I know who I am. I'm a sinner. I know what you have done, and I believe you did that for me. I believe you died for the sins of the whole world, and I'm admitting to you I'm a sinner, and I need in my life what you have done for me. That's an act of faith. I'm believing, trusting in what he has done for me. That's the message. Oh, the Bible is 66 books. It's a long book. It says a lot about a lot of things. But when you boil it all down, it boils down to this. Christ has died for our sin. And we must make a choice. We can say, oh, that's nice. And you could say, oh, pastor, I never heard that before. I heard that many times. Uh, and I've done it. I hope you have. Some people are like, yeah, I've heard that before, but I, you know, I'm still not sure. That's okay. Pastor John's sitting over there. I'm here. There are plenty of other people at the church here. Come up and ask us. Maybe we'll come up and ask you, what do you think? Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? But we need to make that choice to believe him, to trust him, to make him our Savior. That is the only way I can be right with God. That's the only way I can meet God's standard. There is no other way. Let's all bow in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that this morning you have given us just a thumbnail sketch of your plan for this world. But, Father, you've given us the essence, the, what it all boils down to, that Jesus Christ alone can meet your standards. And we're left out without him. Lord, I pray that as we're just contemplating the things we've just heard from your word, if someone here hasn't ever trusted Christ as their Savior, that just in the quietness of their own heart, right there where they are, would say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I now understand fully that Jesus Christ died for me, paid my price, met the standard on my behalf. Lord, I'm asking you to save me and make me one of your children. Give me that opportunity to be right with God and to know that heaven is my home. Father, 
I pray if anyone has done that, that uh, before the day is over, that they would come up and talk to John or I or one of the other people from the church here so that we could help them in that new life. And Lord, for many others, I pray that we'd be challenged to take the good news to others so they too would know the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, John has some announcements.